Hello and welcome to this special episode of Musyawara Connecting ASEAN and Europe, the podcast series of the European Parliament in ASEAN. This episode marks 500 days since Myanmar's military seized power over the legislative, judicial and executive branches of government, putting a halt to the country's democratic transition. The fallout from the February 2021 coup has had a devastating impact on the Burmese people. The number of people internally displaced inside Myanmar has topped 1 million for the first time. There have been almost 2,000 extrajudicial killings of civilians at the hands of the military. More than half the country's population is now living in poverty, while the Burmese economy has shrunk by a staggering 18%, according to the World Bank. The latest World Press Freedom Index puts Myanmar in the bottom five countries in the world. To discuss all of this, as well as the next steps for the international community, we are very pleased to share with you a conversation between European Parliament Vice President Heidi Hautala and the Pulitzer Prize winning Burmese-American journalist Eamon Tant. The conversation which follows was recorded on the 16th of June, 2022. Thank you for having me here today and um, thank you for focusing on the situation in Myanmar. So 500 days ago, uh, the Myanmar military staged a coup on February 1st of 2021 and they basically uh, decided to upend 10 years of progress towards a democratic transition that the country had been engaged in really since 2011. And since they have staged the coup, we have had over 11,000 people arrested, including political leaders like Aung San Suu Kyi, the president of the country, and many other sort of uh, leading national activists, uh, as well as uh, labor leaders and protest leaders. Uh, We have also seen a very high number of uh, non-civilian people who have been killed. Uh, Many of them were killed during crackdowns on protests, uh, as well as um, people being killed uh, in in prisons. We've seen a number of people uh, get tortured uh, while they're in prison because the military thought that they might have uh, information on the protest movement and the resistance movement to the coup. We've also seen uh, a a use of internet shutdowns in the country as a way to isolate people from each other. We've also seen a campaign of arson throughout the country where military forces will invade uh, villages and, and towns especially where there are really strong resistance forces to the coup. And uh, as of now, we have over one million internally displaced people in the country, as well as a very large number of people who have now fled the country, uh, including many journalists like me, who uh, now need to work from exile uh, as a way to protect our safety. I'm very glad that you are here with us, Amin. Uh, And um, this brings to my mind um, 2013, when I was one of the representatives of the hopeful uh, international community who um, were very happy about uh, this uh, opening towards democracy uh, and that we all wanted to go back and uh, continue our uh, development cooperation. Then um, I had some very deep impressions about um, the people, uh, and the country, uh, but I must say that looking at your your documentation, uh, your your pictures, your listening to you, I understand that these ten years must have meant quite a lot of uh, the Burmese people. That um, this sort of openness has also meant really that people have been able to communicate across national borders, and uh, the new freedoms have uh, created new uh, new forms of cooperation and and community between people. And then it was all interrupted abruptly. We are all shocked here. And since then, uh, we have um, negotiated three resolutions from the European Parliament, uh, giving our steadfast support to the people of Myanmar. 
calling for um, a release of political prisoners, including Aung San Suu Kyi and the president. Um, we recognize the national unity government as the legitimate rep representative of the people and also the, the sidelined uh, legitimately elected parliament, the CRPH. So um, it's been uh, really dramatic to see how people suffer, but also the courage and uh, this incredibly braveness of, uh, of the people, which you have also documented in your, your work. So uh, do you think this resistance will, will continue and... Uh, how 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 um, how durable uh, is this people's resistance? So we've really seen a movement that has uh, shifted and grown a lot over the last uh, year and four months. Um, when the coup first happened, we saw people uh, protest, right? Because this is what many other of uh, their neighbors in neighboring countries were doing. They they looked at the example of Hong Kong, of Thailand, of all these, uh, especially Asian nations, who had uh, risen up and said that they were um, not willing to accept injustice in their country. And uh, at certain points, you saw hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. Um, and on February 22nd, the largest day of protests, you saw oh, millions of people in the street protesting the coup. Um, but then after a few weeks, we really saw the junta engage in extremely brutal crackdown techniques. You know, at first they were using water guns and um, tear gas, but that very quickly developed into just shooting people. And we often saw people get shot in the head. Um, and um, in March, we saw a massacre in one of the poorest districts of Myanmar. That is where um, factory workers live. Uh, that saw dozens of people getting killed in one day. Um, and then after that, you saw people doing more guerrilla-style protests, where you would protest very quickly and then disappear. And in fact, in Zagain State, uh, which is in central Myanmar, there's one group that has been protesting every single day since the coup. And despite the violence, they've really kept it up. And now we're also seeing um, groups like the National Unity Government, which is lawmakers as well as activists and leaders who have mm -hmm. come together to form a civilian government uh, for Myanmar, as well as the um, CRPH, which is the parliamentarians, uh, work together with many groups around the country to create a new federal democratic charter and to really use this crisis as an opportunity to even push for more change than Myanmar could really was willing to accept even just two years ago. And we're also seeing people, especially young people, uh, in some cases, pick up arms to defend themselves and their homes against uh, repression by the military. And we're still seeing protests. We're, st we're also seeing um, civil servants, uh, over 100,000 of them, uh, continuing to be on strike against the military. So you see every sector of the um, society engaging with the resistance movement in the ways that they think is most appropriate and that they think will lead to the best outcome for the country. In the European Parliament, uh, we have been uh, quite disappointed with the international reactions because we, we, we have not been able to, to stop the junta so far. But nevertheless, um, uh, quite important sanctions have been put in place by the EU and others. So um, I understand that um, the main um, aim is with these sanctions to stop or any money to flow into the conglomerates of the army. It would be interesting to hear from you how, how, um, how one could describe this sort of military uh, imperial junta with uh, large properties, illegal activities, uh, extracting minerals, 
illegal logging and uh, the, then the violence. So how does this operate, this, uh, this uh, economic, military economic system? So this isn't the first junta that Myanmar has seen. Um, really until 2011, the country was, un, was under military rule as well. And so it's really a continuation of the systems that they had set up at that time, where they had nationalized a number of industries in the country uh, and had continued to hold on to their monopolies on them. So oil and gas uh, or energy production generally is a major uh, source of income for them, and they control um, much of the, the revenue that is produced in that industry. Um, Myanmar is also uh, Myanmar also exports quite a lot of um, natural resources, uh, such as gems of all sorts, especially jade is also a really big one, um, teak uh, and other sorts of woods. And yeah, I think there's, there are quite a lot of sort of precious natural resources that come out of Myanmar that people don't necessarily know is from the country. And also, um, in most cases, to directly benefit the military, either through, because they directly control that industry or because um, they control the routes out of the country and they extort the businesses that uh, trade in these goods. Yeah, so I think it's really important for people outside of the, the uh, outside of Myanmar who want to support the efforts to really be aware of uh, where many of their the items that they buy come from, and and sort of push their their governments to to um, not participate in these trades. Could you talk a little bit about uh, what the EU is doing in terms mm-hmm. of sanctions, especially since the EU? Um, exports or imports uh, mm. many of the goods made in Myanmar, especially in the garment industry. Yeah, I, I have a pyjama produced in uh, in Myanmar, and it's I must say it's it's very good quality. <laughs> but anyway, so um, the role of European companies and international companies in Myanmar is something that we have raised in our our uh, positions, and um, uh, I noticed uh, almost immediately that, for instance, the Japanese brewery company Kirin withdrew from the from business because they felt that they could not disconnect from the from the military conglomerates. Mm-hmm. They were actually in direct partnership with the military. Yeah, yeah. And what we have said is that any European company has to be very diligent about not to feed into the military with their business activities. And I, I think this is uh, something that also people uh, are now realizing that um, that uh, they they need to sort of make sure that uh, they are not we are not consuming something that is uh, produced to help the military to consolidate its power. So um, this business and human rights, I think, is a very important uh, dimension for us. Then uh, we have, uh, as as you know, the parliament is an important um, uh, platform, but it is not the official European Union. We put we we give inspiration and we put pressure against the EU, which consists of 27 member states, and we have sort of gradually increased our demands on the sanctions. So the last thing was that uh, the MOGE, the National Oil and Gas Company was added to the to the list of sanctions we we still remain to, to to we have to see if there could be more sanctions because uh, the pressure has to to increase because also the brutality of the junta seems to be increasing 
perhaps you could explain a little bit that this um, new um, announcements by by the military that four people, uh, at least one elected member of parliament, would be executed. Does this is this a turning point to one or the other direction? How do you see it? So the four people who are now who have been sentenced to death, um, the big change is, that has happened recently is that they have um, gone through the entire appeals process. Um, and has essentially been denied uh, a sort of reduction of their sentence or a change to their sentencing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really important to remember that all of these people were sentenced in courts that are essentially directly controlled by the military mm-hmm. at this point. Um, so I don't think there was much hope that uh, the sentence would be changed, especially once the charges are announced. Uh, I think people in the country basically assume that they will be found guilty of this. It's just a question of how mm-hmm. harsh the sentence will be. Um, I think another really big change is that, you know, despite the fact that the military has killed a very large number of people in the country since the coup, uh, this will be the first use of the death penalty in multiple decades. They're essentially political prisoners, or even in some cases, uh, you might consider them to be prisoners of war, in which case, um, you know, these are gross violations of international norms uh, and and the rights of people. Myanmar is a country that, despite having the death penalty on the books, um, has essentially not used it at all. And so this is um, just another uh, line that the military is pushing past against in their pursuit of absolute domination in the country and their willingness, I guess, to show people that they just truly do not care about human rights um, or the rights of the people in Myanmar. We have, uh, of course, um, called for for um, uh, preventing these and stopping these executions. But if they would happen, I think it would uh, motivate one more round of sanctions because this this is it is a, this would be a turning point, as you have explained. Let's uh, touch a little bit the question of um, of um, the responsibility of uh, of the region. ASEAN is a is a mighty region, and Myanmar is a part of it. So, uh, have you followed how ASEAN has reacted, and um, what would you expect from from the region? Yeah, um, I think with ASEAN, it's or at least on a personal level, I often feel quite conflicted about it. Um, On one hand, if you're looking at the institution and you really study the history of ASEAN, you can see that they have taken really unprecedented steps in the history Mm -hmm. of ASEAN to um, not only have dissent within the institution, um, ASEAN is very, one of the sort of core defining uh, features of ASEAN is that they function on a consensus basis. Regarding Myanmar, they have also decided that at the sort of head of state level that Myanmar will not be invited or Myanmar is invited to attend but the military is not allowed to choose um, a member of its administration to represent Myanmar and that a non-political representative has to be chosen so in those ways um, you can really see ASEAN as really trying to be creative uh, within its own boundaries Mm -hmm. of how to handle the situation but on the other hand I think just as a person with friends and family uh, who I would like to go back to Myanmar mm. soon if I can. Um, you know, my, my many of my friends are still in the country. Uh, my mother is still in the country. 
they're not safe. Uh, it's it's extremely frustrating to see kind of these very bureaucratic, uh, slow-moving institutions say um, we're still trying to implement demands that were decided a year ago, and that you know were very simple demands like the cessation of violence, the access of the international community to political leaders, things like that, which should be quite simple. Um, and, and continuing to engage with the junta, uh, despite the fact that they've shown themselves to be quite unwilling to compromise. I mean, as a journalist, I understand the broader context, but just as a person uh, who wants to see Myanmar in a much more free and just place, it's very difficult. Yeah, I think um, um, after this, um, the people of Myanmar will be much stronger and much more united and much more inclusive, which is the delightful thing to see that the, the national unity government is, is really considering. For mm -hmm. the first time, I see now the, the ethnic minorities and other minorities to be a part of the people. So this is, I think, gives us hope. And uh, I think your dream is, uh, is to go home as soon as possible. And we here in the European Union, we must do everything to allow you to go home, which means that we must keep up and increase the pressure against the military who has brutally uh, taken over the people and uh, their rights. So thank you very much for, for this discussion, Amin, and yeah. I look forward to staying in touch with you. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to this discussion between European Parliament Vice President Heidi Hautala and the Pulitzer Prize winning Burmese American journalist Amin Tant. For more information, check out MyanmarBeyondTheHeadlines.org and EP in ASEAN on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.